has no pleasure in fools pay what you have vowed better not to vow than to vow and not pay do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin nor say, say before the messenger of god that it was an error why should god be and be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands for in the multitude of dreams and many words there is also vanity but fear god shall we give thanks for the reading of the word and pray for the word gracious lord and heavenly father we thank you lord for this morning as we could come so freely into your presence o lord and to praise you worship you thank you adore you and we pray o lord that you and we know and believe that you are in our midst we also hope o lord that our praise was worthy before you that you found it really true from our heart o lord we pray at this time o lord for this word we know o lord this word is so true and alive even in this season o lord in this time it is so true to us and we pray o lord that as your servant brings the word before us that you'll you'll allow each one of us to open up our ears o lord and pray o lord that none of us will will be distracted but pray o lord we'll be able to focus on the word and listen to your voice from your servant and pray o lord that as we hear it we'll just not hear it lord but we will soften our hearts and allow it to reach um into our hearts o lord and make a change in our heart o lord we pray o lord also for brother raven as he brings the word that you will speak through your son use him o lord as a mighty vessel pray o lord that he will not speak from his wisdom but we pray o lord that your spirit will guide him correct him and give him the right words to say o lord this morning that each one of us will hear the word of god clearly o lord and we pray o lord that you'll come at this time we pray o lord we 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 want to hear you clearly o lord this morning we come at this time in your hands and we ask for all of this in and through name of our lord and savior jesus christ good morning is that clear thank you ravichan all right so as is clear from the reading of the word as is clear from the reading of the word we will be looking at ecclesiastes chapter 5 but before that let me just test this uh he's sitting at quite a distance so oh yeah it does work thank you okay but if it doesn't work at some point of time please help me all right so let me begin with a story it's been a while since i began with stories uh let me begin with a story and uh, you may pause for a little chuckle here so a lot of you are sitting very tensed and uh, looking at me straight but but pause for a little chuckle there was a little old cleaning woman uh, she came to a local church one day and she heard a very powerful sermon and she invited jesus into her heart and at the end of it she comes right to the front and she talks to the pastor and she says pastor I'm absolutely convinced that I want to be baptized by you and I want to become a member of your church. And the pastor thought he was a good businessman so he thought oh my uh she is dirty she cleans the streets she cleans toilets she is unkempt uh probably it's been a few days since she took a bath her nails are dirty and so uh what would the other members of the church think if she becomes a member of our church? and importantly the rich members in the church would file away and who will bring the donations into the church and so the pastor spiritualized it and he said 
well, why don't you go and pray about it for some time? And the lady went back, she prayed about it for a week, and then she comes back and she says, Pastor, I've prayed about it, and I'm even more convinced that I need to become a member of your church. You need to baptize me, and I want to be a member of your church. And once again, the pastor had uh, no way to escape, so again he spiritualized it, and he said, why don't you go and pray about it for some more time, and we'll talk about it later on. She went away, and she never showed up in church again, and um, a few weeks later, the pastor was eating in a restaurant in town, and she was cleaning the streets outside. And the pastor just finished his lunch, he stepped out, and he didn't want to seem as though he was ignoring her, so he went to her and he said, uh, you didn't uh, come back to church, is everything all right? And the woman said, yes, uh, everything is all right. In fact, you asked me to pray about it, that was a very good counsel, I thought, because when I went and prayed about it the second time, in fact, for a longer time this time, the Lord convinced me and told me very clearly not to become a member of your church. And the pastor was startled by this. He said, oh, really? What did he say to you? Then the woman said, well, he said very clearly to me and categorically to me that even he's been trying to become a member for the last many years and failed. <laughs> now, there was a little old boy. I mean, there was a little boy, not a little old boy. <laughs> it's an oxymoron, isn't it? Okay, there was a little boy. Uh, who attended a church one Sunday morning with his father. And so at the, at the end of the service, he was very impressed by the service and all of that, and he goes uh, home in the evening and kneels by his bedside before he goes to bed. And then he prayed this prayer. Lord, I enjoyed the nice service very much, but I wish you had been there. I enjoyed the nice service very much, but I wish you had been there. Now these two farcical stories should raise an important question in our minds. And let me make it very, very personal here this morning. And I ask this question of myself as I ask you this question. Do you struggle worshipping God? Do you struggle in worship as you sit here on a Sunday morning? Obviously, God is there in our church when we assemble together, when we assemble together here as a church. The Lord promised that he would be amidst us. And God is also there when we spend our quiet times with him, our personal times with him as well. But unfortunately, we don't recognize his presence and sometimes we even sleep or even end up in the slumberland. We don't mean to be disrespectful, but often we are. We know we should burst forth in awe of God, but instead our thoughts wander, we yawn, and we go through the same motions and we mutter the same old cliches again and again. So this must raise some important questions this morning for us in our minds. And listen to this very carefully, please. How can we honor God? Or, what is the right way to approach God as I come here on a Sunday morning? Or better, what are the ingredients of a true reverence for God? What are the ingredients of a true reverence for God? Now, this subject is as old as time itself. Uh, the Jews struggle with this, this question of genuine worship in Solomon's day, as we struggle in our day as well. And the ones who first read today's uh, text probably had Solomon's uh, temple uh, erected right in front of their eyes. And so they witnessed firsthand the tons of silver, the tons of gold that was coming in, all the freshly carved stones that were put right in their place, and they've seen the recognized priesthood as well. Having seen all of these things, within one generation, worship for them degenerated. 
So people came to the temple and they uttered several things and muttered several things without even thinking what they were talking about. And they were unaware that God was even present as they came to the temple and spoke those words. And importantly, even across the Kidron Valley, Solomon built a palace and a pagan altar for his pagan wife, Pharaoh's daughter. So false worship was right across from where the temple stood in Jerusalem. Now, near the end of his life, Solomon is writing the book of Ecclesiastes for us. So it gives the last words of wisdom that he is trying to give us on any subject. So today we look at Solomon's advice on how to approach God as he looks at his own failures and also of that of his own people. He looks at his own failures and the failures of his own people and he's trying to give us advices on how to approach God. So today's passage will show us two things, very simple things, two very simple things on what we should do when we approach God. Solomon tells us how to truly honor God in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So you're all at Ecclesiastes chapter 5? All right. So in verses 1, 2, and 3, that is verses 1 through 3, you'll see a very simple point that Solomon makes. He says that you must worship God with reverence. Very simple. You must worship God with reverence. We need to honor the Lord by ascribing worth to him in a way that he accepts. We must honor God by ascribing worth to him in a way that he accepts. And Solomon explains this by giving us three advices about how to show reverence to God in worship. Three advices about how to show reverence to God in worship. Firstly, Solomon says, prepare yourself for worship. Prepare yourself for worship. Look at the first part of verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. The house of God that Solomon is talking about here is obviously the temple in Jerusalem. And Solomon's palace was right next to the temple in Jerusalem, the scripture says. So Solomon most probably may have observed a lot of people going through the motions of worship there. And he was also aware that many of them were doing so without the slightest bit of reverence for God. So Solomon's advice here is guard your steps as you go to the temple. Guard your steps as you go to the temple. In the Old Testament wisdom literature, steps are used as a graphic symbol for human behavior, for how you behave. One steps could lead one astray, and one steps could lead one aright as well. So people must be careful to hold back their steps from the wrong way. And Solomon graphically is saying that you must guard your steps. You must guard your steps. But notice the warning that Solomon is giving here. Going to the temple does not necessarily mean that you are on the right track. Just because you came to church on a Sunday morning does not mean everything is right with your life or that you are on the right track. People can have a casual approach even when they come to the temple. People can have a casual approach even when they come to church on a Sunday morning. In fact, that was the attitude of the people of Judah who were going to the temple in Jeremiah's day. If you remember in Jeremiah chapter 7, the Lord told Jeremiah very clearly that these people have gone into sin and these people think that the temple is their immunity. And just because the temple of the Lord stands in Jerusalem, the Lord is not going to destroy the people for their sin. And so they kept shouting, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. As long as the temple of the Lord is there, no matter how many sins we prevail in, the Lord is not going to destroy us. And so we can keep going into the temple and coming out 
with muttering all kinds of things without understanding that God really is present there and without being aware of the fact that it is God's temple and God's worship. So in Jeremiah chapter 7, God asked Jeremiah to plant himself at the gate of the temple and then he is to exhort the people and ask them to mend their ways, ask them to repent and ask them to come back and not be deceived by the words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And here Solomon is doing the same thing. Solomon is asking his people to guard his steps. Solomon is asking his people to guard his steps. Now, in the modern day world, particularly in the church of today, the New Testament church, there's no temple today, and the Spirit of God indwells us. And so I think we must apply this very broadly as we talk to the church this morning. Guard your steps here means that we must make sure we are properly prepared to honor God in worship. Did you hear that? Guard your steps means that you must make sure and I must make sure that you and I are properly prepared to worship God and honor God in worship. It means that we watch out for those things that might prevent us from really worshiping God. Now this morning, you and I in CBF need to take this warning from Solomon very, very seriously. Now, his warning isn't for people who don't come to church and who sit at home, but it's for those of us who are well-meaning and who show up for church, who like to sing a good song and hear a good sermon, but find it very hard to pay attention. It's for those of us whose thoughts wander and who are full of good intentions, but who never quite follow through. It's also for those of us whose hearts and minds don't have a profound awe and respect when we sit here for worship. It's also for those of us who don't anticipate God's presence or expect to hear God's voice when when we come here on a Sunday morning to worship. And consequently, we're unable to experience the presence of God that will stir our hearts, change our lives, and satisfy our hunger for meaning in our lives. And the preacher's advice to all of us is that when you come for worship, you must prepare yourselves. You must prepare yourselves. So how do I prepare myself and how can I prepare myself as I come here for worship on a Sunday morning? Let me, let me list for you a few ways here. And these are not obviously legislations. Don't get me wrong. But these are humble suggestions that you could pick and choose from. You know what needs correction in your life. I know what needs correction in my life. And so I'm just going to throw out a list here that, that might help in preparing ourselves for worship. Number one, the first thing is that we can arrive early here for personal prayer. We can arrive early here for personal prayer. You know, I want to tell you this, that even five minutes of early arrival and greeting everybody and then sitting down and quietening our own hearts and focusing on the Lord and calming ourselves does make a difference in how we approach worship and how we can worship for the rest of the 45 minutes. It does make a difference. Secondly, sleep early the previous night. It's a very practical thing. Sleep early the previous night. Uh, It keeps our minds fresh, especially if you are speaking the next day morning. It's always good to to have an early, uh, early time to bed. Go to bed early. It keeps your mind fresh. You can come and worship the Lord clearly. Thirdly and importantly, and again, it's not a legislation. Don't get me wrong here. It's best not to watch anything the previous night, particularly a movie or an IPL match. No, the reason I say that is because there was an IPL match right in our city yesterday. Uh, So particularly a movie or an IPL match. I promise you, 
Try this out. It keeps your mind very clear, and you can think clearly. It keeps your mind fresh. You can come here and worship God in the way he expects you to worship. Fourthly, listen to biblical, meaningful songs as you drive here to worship. That helps a lot. As you drive here to worship, listen to some meaningful, good, biblical songs. Or in other words, hymns. Fifthly, don't pick up an argument with anyone, either on the road or in the car. If there is anything that you need to discuss with your wife that could lead to an argument, I'm serious. And particularly I follow this, especially when I come here to preach. We don't discuss such things that could lead to an argument because there is no point in arguing with my wife in the car and standing up here and acting all holy and mighty. So we don't discuss things that pick up an argument. Fifthly, and importantly, pray with your family before you step out for worship. Pray with your family before you step out for worship. And the list could go on. I don't know what it's for you in your life that needs correction, honestly. I know what it's for me. Only God knows what it's for you in your life. But this morning, Solomon's advice to all of us here is that we never come casually to worship but come with our hearts prepared. We come with dignity. We come with respect. Prepare yourself for worship. Prepare yourself for worship. That's the first thing that Solomon gives us in advice. Then there's a second advice that Solomon gives us in terms of how we can worship God with reverence. And that is, he says, listen to the word of God. Listen to the word of God. Now, this is not my word because I'm standing up and speaking here. This is exactly from Solomon right about 1,000 years ago. Look at verse, the first part of, uh, second part of the first verse. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. To draw near to listen uh, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Now, in this simple verse, Solomon captures for us, for, uh, he captures for us the twofold function of the temple. Number one, he says, it was a place where the Torah was present by means of which the priests instructed the people. Second thing, it was a place of mediation between God and his people via the sacrifices. And so in the Old Testament, if you recognize, wherever Yahweh manifested himself, it was always done to preach his word or to speak his word. And so in the temple, uh, which is a place that is forever sanctified his presence, people heard the word that came through the priests. The priests instructed people from the word, and it was the word of God to the people. And so Solomon's advice is that people go to the temple to listen to God rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. You go to the temple to listen to God rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now notice the contrast that Solomon is making here. The contrast is between listen and offering sacrifice of fools. Did you see that? It's between listen and offering the sacrifice of fools. Who is a fool in the Bible? In this context, the fool is the one who goes through rituals with many words but has no awareness of God. He goes through rituals with many words but has no awareness of who God is. And so the sacrifice of fools refers to being impulsive in our actions, often through words repeated so many times that they've really lost their meaning. People keep repeating words that have become cliches, but they've really lost their meaning. In other words, Solomon is exhorting to listen than to offer superficial sacrifices. Now, since the coming of Jesus, worship is no longer centered in the temple, 
but the dangers still remain. Even today, as in Solomon's day, there's a right way and a wrong way to come to worship God. Now listen, please. The right way to come is with our ears wide open, is what Solomon is saying. We come to sit and to receive what God has written in his holy word. Philip Ryken, a theologian, has written this. He said, understand that whenever we go to worship, we enter the presence of a holy God who has gathered his holy people to hear his holy word. Did you hear that? Whenever you go to the presence of a holy God, we come together with his holy people to hear his holy word. That's the right way to worship. And then the wrong way to come to worship is to come uh, a little too quick to speak. It is to come a little too quick to speak. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this. He said, he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He who can no longer listen to his brother will no longer listening to be God, uh, will no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. This is the beginning of spiritual, uh, the death of spiritual life. And in the end, there is nothing left but spiritual chatter. This is the beginning of the death of spiritual life. And in the end, there's nothing but spiritual chatter. And Solomon says the same thing. He cautions us not to be rash with our words, rash with our mouths, not to be too quick to utter words before God. We should come prepared to hear what God has to say to us. We should come prepared to hear what God has to say to us. I can't tell you how important this is. Now listen to me very carefully, please. Take what we are doing right now. I'm speaking and you're listening. It seems wrong for one person, logically, it seems wrong for one person to be standing up here or even during exhortations there and to be speaking to the whole audience. Why should the whole audience or the whole congregation listen to one person? And if you take it logically, I'm the last person who deserves to be standing here and I say this with no pretense. And the fact of the matter is, it seems wrong if the person is speaking on his behalf. But it only makes sense. It only makes sense for one person to be standing up here and speaking to the congregation if he is speaking on behalf of somebody who deserves to be heard and whose word it is. And if the person standing up there is speaking his word and is speaking on his behalf and only his word, he certainly deserves to be heard because God's voice does come through to the congregation through his message. And so we need preachers and teachers and Sunday school teachers and other people who will themselves be listening to scriptures on a daily basis, who will take in scripture as a daily habit for themselves in order to open for scriptures, uh, in order to open the scriptures for us in the congregation. The story is told of a, of a theological college in Sydney where uh, for four years they went through homiletics class. All the students went through homiletics class, and it was a custom in that particular college that in the, at the end of fourth year, they would ask each student to preach in front of the faculty and the entire student body. Quite a daunting thing for a seminary student. And so there is this particular Mr. John Jones. I didn't pick your name. It is still, I think it's John Jones. And so this man stands up on a particular day to speak. He read a particular passage in front of the whole student body. The faculty was seated there, and he... He read a particular passage, and he didn't touch on the passage at all. And I call this the, the passage of departure. Because you don't talk about the passage, you talk about everything else. 
So he read that passage, he didn't talk about it, he talked about everything else. And at the end of it, the principal of the college got up and gave his critique. He said this. He said, Mr. Jones would have done better to stand up this morning and say, I have no word from the Lord than to have preached a sermon that he did. Did you hear that? Mr. Jones would have been better to stand up this morning and say, I have no word from the Lord, and sat down than to have actually preached the sermon that he did. I think it's a very strong criticism. I don't think in any homiletics class one ought to give up a feedback like that, especially if they're starting off in their preaching, one ought to encourage people and pat them on their back and gently correct them where they need. But the fact of the matter is I began to think about it, and I hope this is just a legend and not truth. But if it were to be true and such a story actually happened, I think and I suspect every single time Mr. Jones gets up to speak, he would have these words in his head ringing. That if I don't have a word from the Lord, I better not stand up to speak today. If I don't have a word from the Lord, I better not stand up to speak today. You know why? You know why? Because the congregation is commanded to come and hear the word. And if somebody who's standing up doesn't have a word from God, what is the congregation going to listen? And so, you and I, those who get up to speak... We must prepare ourselves. We must, be, we must be drenching ourselves with scripture. We must come under the authority of scripture and we must open up scriptures to the congregation. Charles Simeon of Cambridge once said this in a letter to his publisher. He said, my endeavor is to bring out of scripture what is there. My endeavor is to bring out of scripture what is there and not thrust in what I think might be there. I have a great jealousy on this head. Never to speak more or less than I believe to be the mind of the Spirit in the passage I'm expounding. I should never speak anything more or less than what I think is the mind of the uh, Spirit in the passage I'm expounding. And that's my conviction as well. And that's my vision as well. To be able to help men and train men who can see the same conviction as well. So when we come for worship, the preacher must come prepared to speak not his own words, but the word of God alone. And all of us should come prepared, guarding our steps, prepared to hear from God and his word. So may I, may I say to CBF very gently, come hungry when you come. Come willing when you come. Come expecting God to speak. Come expecting God to speak. So how do you show reverence for God in worship? Solomon said two things so far. The first thing is that, can you help me? And the second thing, come to listen to the word of God. Thirdly, Solomon says, come to God with the right attitude. Come to God with the right attitude. Look at verses 2 and 3. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. Solomon's point is that when people approach God in the temple, they must do so with reverence and with fear. And that's why he says, do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Let your words be few. Now this, is, uh, this normally has been applied to a prayer like the kind of prayer that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 6 verse 7. It is an unthinking prayer. Jesus said, 
when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. But it seems to me that limiting this only to prayer is too narrow. Why can't we apply this to our singing as well? Let me share this illustration and you'll get the point. A pastor's wife once asked a member of the church, uh, she was a great singer, and she, was, she asked a member of the church to pray for her because she wasn't going to be singing a song that she was supposed to sing the next day in worship. And the member was quite astounded by it, and uh, he thought, she's, she's quite a good singer, and why is she not singing the song tomorrow? Is she not well or something? But anyway, he went ahead and prayed for her, and the next day he went to her, walked up to her, and asked, uh, Sister, why are you not singing today? Why did you ask me to pray about it? And then she said, look at the lyrics in the song I was about to sing. And the lyrics say, I'm willing for God to take away anything from my life in order to be like Jesus. That includes my husband, my children, and everything else. And I'm just not sure I can honestly do that. I'm just not sure I can honestly do that. I think that day she learned a great lesson. And the lesson is that singing is a higher form of speaking and we don't sing anything that we could not speak. We don't sing anything that we could not speak. An elder one day got up in his church and he said, we're going to sing the song, I Surrender All. If you don't mean it, don't sing it. You would be surprised as to how many people refrain from singing. And Solomon here says, be not rash with your mouths nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Why is Solomon being so strict here? Why is he so stringent about worship? What is the basis of his exhortation? The basis of his exhortation is the transcendence of God. Look at verse, look at, notice the verse here. He says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. God is in heaven and you are on earth. The reason why we ought to give so much respect and so much reverence is because God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. God is in heaven, we are on earth. God is the Lord and we are his slaves. And as we prepare for worship, remember that you and I must approach God in a state of humility. We must approach God in a state of humility. We bow before him and to see God reigning in power, wisdom, glory and love produces only one uh, response from us and that is one of awe. That is one of awe. Now it's difficult to be sure exactly what the first part of verse 3 means. But probably, probably, I've tried my best to get the right meaning of it, but probably the entire verse means that just as personal and business cares produce dreams, which are unsubstantial things, so many words uh, produce foolish and empty prayers. So come to God with the right attitude. Come to God with the right attitude. So in verses 1, 2, and 3, we saw that we must worship God with reverence. We must worship God with reverence. Then there's a second thing that we need to understand about how to approach God, and that is in verses 4 through 7. They say that you must keep your vows and fear God. Very simple. You must keep your vows and fear God. If we truly want to honor the Lord, we must keep the promises we've made to him. If we truly want to honor the Lord, we must keep the promises we've made to him. And in clarifying this, Solomon once again has three things to say. Let's go step by step. Firstly, Solomon says, failure to fulfill a vow evokes God's displeasure. Failure to fulfill a vow 
evokes God's displeasure. Verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. By vow here, Solomon means an unconditional, solemn promise to do or not to do something that you promise before God. It is to do or not to do something before God that you promise. It's a solemn promise that you made before God. In the times of the Bible, people made vows to God, particularly in the context of worship and public worship. The problem isn't that it is difficult to make a vow, but the problem is that it is very difficult to keep a vow. And that's exactly what Solomon is saying here. And the Bible is very clear that when we make a vow to God, we must keep that vow. Because God takes it seriously. And God takes it seriously when we make a promise and fail to keep that promise. Now hear me please. It's a very serious thing to stand before God. And to promise to live together as husband and wife till death do us part. We must keep it. It is a very serious thing to bring our children here and dedicate them and promise that we're going to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and lead them in Christian discipleship. We must keep it. It's a serious thing. It's a serious thing to pray and make certain commitments to God. We must keep them. It's a serious thing to vow to give a certain amount to God every month or regularly and then decline or default on it. It's a serious thing. Let me ask you this question this morning as I ask myself. What specific promises regarding your time, your commitments, your life, your money, your ministry, have you made to God and not kept? It's a serious thing to make promises to God. So think carefully before you do. Be prepared when you come for worship. Listen to his word and make sure that you keep the promises that you make to God. Because failure to fulfill a vow evokes God's displeasure. Failure to fulfill a vow evokes God's displeasure. Secondly, Solomon says that no vow is better than an unfulfilled vow. No vow is better than an unfulfilled vow. Look at verses 5 and 6. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Solomon is saying that all vows are completely optional. There is no pressure on you to make a vow. But if you do make a vow, you must keep it. And Solomon is going on to say that it is better not to vow at all than to vow and not keep it. In fact, in verse 6, Solomon seems to be referring to people who promised to pay a certain amount into the temple treasury. And the priests heard it, the messenger heard it. And when they would not follow through on it, the priest or the messenger would come and remind them of it. And they would come back with the excuse saying that it was unintentional and was a mistake. And the preacher says that God isn't fooled by our games. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Let me clarify this with uh, an illustration that I read. Uh, I've I've read about a professor who was really challenged on a vow that he had made in his life. And listen to this very carefully, please. His name is Dr. Don Sunukian. I know some of you may have heard it. He is from Dallas Seminary. He's now, uh, right now, the uh, professor and chair of Christian ministry and leadership at Talbot School of Theology. Great scholar in preaching. So this man, he wanted to teach at Dallas Theological Seminary. So he went through a THM program, 
full time. And he did his PhD, Doctor of Theology. And then he applied for a faculty position in the pastoral ministries department. Dallas Seminary got back to him and they said, you need a PhD, not a THD. Very encouraging, isn't it? And so he went back to UCLA. He took a PhD there, a second doctorate. And then he applied again to Dallas Seminary. And Dallas Seminary said, since you want to work in pastoral ministries department, you need some experience as a pastor. And so, as it is in America, he started applying to different churches uh, as a pastor. But he applied to one particular church, and the elders called him in, and he made a vow before the elders that since all the elders were unanimous in their decision and they were happy in taking me into this church, when I leave, I want all the elders to be happy as well, and only when all the elders approve and are happy about my decision of leaving will I leave. That's the vow that he made to God before the elders. Two years later, he got a call from Dallas Seminary and he said, and they said, we have a faculty position open here, would you please come? So he was, he'd been waiting for this for years, you know, right? He took up a second doctorate for this thing. And he goes all of a sudden to the elders and he sits them down and he says, I got this offer from seminary, I want to go. What do you think the elders said? Well, it's just been two years. I don't think it's the right time Would you please stay back? He called the seminary and he declined the faculty position because of the vow that he had made to God. And then what happened? Three years later, a man by the name of Haddon Robinson, one of the finest homiletitians in the world, in my regard at least, he calls him and he says, you know, there's one faculty who's leaving and his position is going to be open. So why don't you come and join in that particular position? This was five years into his ministry. And he goes back to the elders and he asks them the same question again. And the elders say, the building project is going on. I don't think there's a time for you to leave. He didn't leave. And he didn't leave for the next seven years. And he, and he maintained and kept that vow that he had before God. You know, it's very hard not to respect a man like that. But the fact of the matter is, if he had gone back on his promise, if he had gone back on his vow, Do you think God would have been pleased with him? I think not. I think not. Maybe this morning, you have an outstanding debt to God in an area. Maybe this morning, you have an outstanding debt to God in a particular area. Maybe you owe him the time that you promised him. Maybe you owe him the tithe or the percentage of income you promised him. Or you made another specific commitment, probably about your ministry or something else in your life. And probably, maybe God is trying to get your attention by sending a difficult situation into your life or into my life. Or maybe, he's trying to take something away from you and me just to make sure that we understand that we keep the vows that we made to him long ago. So Solomon says, we must, uh, it is better not to make a vow at all than to make it and not keep it. Thirdly and lastly, Solomon says, take God seriously. Verse 7. Take God seriously. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. God is the one you must fear. When we are not serious about worshipping him, or rash and negligent in fulfilling our vows, Solomon is saying here that it is meaningless. It's a meaningless thing. Instead, he's saying, fear God. Instead of multiplying words, just fear God. 
Now, fear is not cowering in terror. It's recognizing for God for who he is, that he is God, and we are to enter his presence with reverence and awe. I think for each one of us this morning, as you're seated here listening to me, I think we need a new reverence for God, a fresh new reverence for God, a fresh sense of awe for what takes place here on a Sunday morning. We really need to uh, raise the stakes and raise our expectations here as well. And we can't afford to worship casually. We come to God, who is a consuming fire. We must take him seriously. We must take him seriously. So what is the point of this morning's sermon? What's Solomon been trying to tell us? What is the question that we started with? We started with the question, how to approach God? And what is Solomon's answer? Solomon's answer is this, that you must worship God with reverence and keep your vows and fear him. You must worship God with reverence and keep your vows and fear him. Revere God by giving him the honor he is due and by keeping the promises that you make. Revere God by giving him the honor that he is due and keeping the promises that you make. I have just one illustration, finally, to sum it all up, and uh, you will get the point, and I'll be through. Now, this happened after the tragedy and subsequent restrictions of 9-11 in the U.S. A college girl who was going through airport security just humorously and jokingly wanted to make, uh, pull a prank uh, with, with the airport security. So she said, do you really think I have a gun in my bag? Before she could speak a word more, she was whisked away, Go, uh, put in a detention room, and then she was detained there for hours. She was, she was searched all over, and then she were, uh, different calls were made. Finally, they made sure that there was no gun, actually, and then she was let out. And she walked away from there. She walked away from that experience, knowing that she would never walk through an airport security by make, making jokes about guns. She would never walk through an airport security by making jokes about guns. Entering God's presence is not a casual matter. It is a serious business. Worship it is not an endurance contest, but a marvelous adventure into the very presence of God. It's not business as usual, but a wonderful ride into a new dimension of life. It's not a mundane trip, but a memorable flight. And on that journey, when we go, our reaction ought not to be, it was a nice song, or it was a nice sermon, or it was a nice service, but the reaction ought to be exactly the same reaction of a little child who boards a flight for the first time and flies. It was awesome. It was awesome. And that's what God is looking at. And that's what our hope is to achieve uh, on a Sunday morning. And not just that, even in our personal worship as well. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you this morning. We want to thank you for your word from the writings of Solomon. You spoke to us about how we ought to approach you. We ought to approach you with reverence when we worship you. We also ought to take our vows that we make to you seriously because you take them seriously as well, Lord. Father, you've said several things and Solomon has given us six things that we need to look at in our own lives. I pray for each one of us. I pray, O oh Lord, that we would look into our own lives and make the corrections that we need to make in light of what we just heard now. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us the strength and the enablement to follow through on our commitments so we could honor you and also worship you in the way you want us to worship. Pray for the rest of the sessions. Pray for the singles meeting 
and the fellowship time and everything, O Lord. We pray, O Lord, that everything done here would be done to the glory and the honor of the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I ask.